Well, one more time, welcome. We are so glad that you are here today. So glad that you are worshiping with us as we are continuing to look through the book of Galatians. I've been enjoying this. I hope you've been enjoying it. Um, It's been a wonderful time for us to stay connected to what God's saying through His Word and see how timely this Word is. That letters and edicts and different things that were written 2,000 years ago still have relevance to our lives today. And so, uh, I don't think I got to take the opportunity to say welcome. My name is Gerald. I'm glad that you guys are worshiping with us today. Uh, If you are here in person and you haven't done this already, or if you're one of our online people that just joined in, I want to encourage you to go ahead and fill out your digital connect card this morning. Oh, I went the wrong direction. All right, there we are. Thank you. Uh, So, Uh, Fill out your digital connect card. Let us know that you're worshiping with us today and that uh, you are here. If you are able to fill that out, again, if you are newer and you fill that out, whether you're here in person or whether you're online, then you will get a gift from us. So uh, please take advantage of that. That would be wonderful if we could just bless you for being here. So uh, we are going through the book of Galatians, and we've been kind of going verse by verse, taking big chunks at a time. And looking at this amazing book, for just as a recap of where we've been, uh, the book of Galatians is actually an ancient letter. It was sent not to one church, but to an entire region. So imagine, if you will, that this letter was not written to a single church like ours, but it was actually sent to like the entire state of Wisconsin. I mean, that, that's the idea, that this church was sent to multiple churches throughout this region. And they were churches that the Apostle Paul helped to create. If you read through the book of Acts and you read chapters 13 and and 14, you read about these churches that were started in Derby, in Lystra, and and in other places. These are in Galatia. And so it's to these same churches that Paul helped start in the book of Acts that he's writing to. And he's trying to help them remember the truth that they first believed. He's trying to help them understand the power of the gospel. Because this other group has come in behind Paul and has tried to convince them that in order to really be a Christian, you first have to become a Jew. And so really this letter is a response to that. He's trying to help these Gentile believers in the region of Galatia, understand what they received by accepting Christ was enough. That they don't need to add anything to their faith when it comes to receiving the Jewish culture. That the only thing that they need to do is to continue to live by the Spirit of God. And so, I think this is important for us because it helps us understand that while there's things that we want to add to our spirituality, there, there's things that we want to do in order to glorify God, that we need to be careful that we keep the proper balance, that we recognize our salvation is not dependent on these things, but how we show the world is. And, and so there's, there, there's a balance that he's trying to create here. In our first week, we talked about the freedom to believe that every one of us, I'm looking around the room, and I'm assuming most of you don't have Jewish heritage. And so we're, we're dealing with Gentiles. We're dealing with people who are outside of the Jewish culture, but we've been given the freedom to believe in the Jewish Messiah. 
And that's an exciting thing. In, in our second week, we looked at that we have the freedom to lead. That we are called to take this gospel and use it as a platform to bring other people into the gospel. To bring other people into the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And then last week, we looked at how we have the freedom to sacrifice. That they were trying to sacrifice certain things, but we are to sacrifice everything. That we are to give everything we have to the cause of Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to kind of shift the focus here. And rather than looking at what we have the freedom to do, we're going to figure out how we receive freedom by receiving certain elements of the gospel. But before I do that, I want to talk about a subject I like talking about a lot and that probably maybe many of you aren't as excited hearing about. It's the idea of running. I I love to run. It's one of my favorite things to do as a pastime. I I like to get out and run. And and I've been told I talk about it too much from the pulpit. Like Because because it's such a part of who I am, it it bleeds into different analogies. It's easy for me to pull things out. And, and, And I recognize that when I start talking about it, most of you don't get excited to hear about running. Most of you probably get a little bit of a sweat going, I don't even want to think about running. And I get it. Because here's the truth. I understand. If you don't like running, it's probably for one of these reasons. It's hard. I mean, I mean, it's not hard to run maybe two or three steps, but if you're going to run a few miles or a marathon, that's hard. And it takes hard work. And again, a lot of people don't want to put forth that effort, especially when you have a vehicle that you can drive 26 miles in. Why would you run 26 miles? I get it. And it kind of feels cruel, right? Like, you almost feel like if you're going to go for a long run, you're punishing yourself. You're, you're doing something hard, and you're hurting yourself because you're trying to get fit and all this stuff, and it feels a little bit difficult. And the other thing is, when you get done, you're, you're dog tired. I, mean, I could do all sorts of things and get myself tired. I don't have to run 26 miles. So, and so, so I get all the objections. But I also want to show you that it's a great analogy for life. Because the truth is, life's hard. In case you haven't lived for more than an hour or two, I need you to come alongside of me and recognize life's hard. You're going to go through some difficult things. And there's going to be times where it feels really, really hard. Sometimes it feels cruel. You feel like you're just getting your feet and then your feet get knocked out from under you again. Other times, it just feels you, makes you feel exhausted. Does this resonate with anybody else? Or am I the only one who goes through life feeling a little tired, like it's a little cruel? Okay, I see some people waving. They're waving me down. Awesome, good. We're, we're on the same page. Great. And see, the thing is, what I hope we gather from our Scripture today is that Faith shouldn't be that way. I meet a lot of people who say they don't believe in religion. They don't believe in Christianity. They don't believe in the idea of accepting this worldview. And they'll tell me things, well, I've tried that. I tried that religion thing. 
And here's what I want you to understand. Religion, it's, it's hard. Sometimes it can feel cruel. And if you do it long enough, you begin to feel exhausted. But today, I'm hoping through what we're about to read that you are going to experience freedom in adoption. Because what Paul was trying to communicate to the Galatians and what he wants us to hear today and what I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to each of us is that you weren't called to religion. You were called to adoption. You weren't called to enter into a pattern of religious activity. You were called to be a son. You were called to be a daughter. You were called to enter into a family and receive the blessings and the heritage and the inheritance that goes along with being adopted in as children. And I hope by the time we're done today, you recognize that relationship, yeah, sometimes it can be hard. Sometimes it can feel cruel. Sometimes it can leave you feeling exhausted too. But the point is, the power of relationship is that if it's done right, you get to rest in it. You get to just sit in the position you have earned, or not earned, you have received through adoption. And so, when we adopt the promises of grace, religion crumbles. And that's what Paul is trying to help these people understand today. And so, as I warned you at the beginning of this series, we're going to have some Sundays where we're going to go through a big chunk of Scripture. Today is one of those wonderful Sundays. How many of you are excited to hear a huge chunk of Scripture? All right, awesome. I, mean, I, I hope you're not the type of people that get fatigued with the Word of God. And so I want you to imagine, though, for a moment, that as we read this, because this was the context that this was supposed to happen. This letter was sent to these churches, and someone was expected to stand up in front of the entire congregation and read all six chapters out loud. So I'm not going to do all six chapters. You're welcome. But, but I am going to go through about 36 verses here. And so this is going to be a bigger chunk. And, but I believe you guys got the stamina. I, I, I feel like you've get, been putting the spiritual exercise in today that, that you're going to be ready to receive this. So why don't we all stand and read this passage? And, and like I said, let's imagine we are there in that first century audience hearing the Apostle Paul challenge us into adoption. Challenge us to receive our faith, not by what we bring to the table, but simply through the merit of Jesus. So, we are going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through Galatians 4, verse 7. So buckle up. Here we go. Galatians 3, 1, out of the New Living Translation. And this is how it reads. O foolish Gentiles, who cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you 
as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scripture looked forward to the time, to this time, when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So, all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So, it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says, it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised Abraham. So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Dear brothers and sisters, here is an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises of Abraham and his child. And notice, this scripture does not say to his children as if it was many descendants. Rather, it says, to his child. That, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement that God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. 
For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then is the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave His law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when He gave His promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could bring us new life, we would be made right if, by, with God by obeying it. But the Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Amen. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under the guard by the law. We, kept, we were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it to you in another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now the way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian. For we are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance to his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that is the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children, and we were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that, we, so that He could adopt us as His very own children. And because we are His children, God sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, you are no longer slave, but God's own child. Since, God, since you are His child, God has made you His heir. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this faithful servant, Paul, who wrote this letter inspired by your spirit so that the church could understand we are not justified by keeping rules. We are justified by accepting you. Your sacrifice. What you have done for us. I pray that would become so real to us today that none of us could turn away. None of us could be fooled into following a different way. But that we would be changed and transformed fundamentally by your power and your grace. God, we love you so much. We thank you so much for what you're doing in this time. And we pray that you would reveal more to us today as we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Thank you for those warriors who, st- who stood up that whole time. And grace to those of you who had to sit down. I understand that was a longer passage of Scripture, but we are, we are uh, glad that you went through it with us. So as we look at this, I need to bring back to something I said in the first sermon. When, when we look at early communications, and, and as I've researched this out, I found out that some of this is still occurring today. That in ancient Judaism in that day, there were basically three groups of people you would find in the synagogue. There were people they called brothers. And if you were in a Jewish synagogue and you were called a brother, you were consi- that was someone who was a Jew by birth. So, If you were to call someone in the synagogue your brother, it's because you were recognizing you're a Jew and he's a Jew. Also in the synagogue was a group of people they called the children of Abraham. What these people were, they were Gentiles who converted to Judaism fully. They they did the circumcision thing, they changed their clothing, they changed their diet, they did everything Jewish, and they were called Sons of Abraham. I was just reading an article this week in a a Jewish um, commentary. They still do this today. If you become a Jew, they give you a Jewish name, but your last name is always Bar Abraham. In other words, son of Abraham. They still do that today when a Gentile converts to Judaism. So if you're not a real Jew by descent and you convert... You're a son of Abraham. And then in the room would often also be this group of Gentiles who didn't want to go that far, but they still respected the Jewish religion, and they were called God-fearers. If you know the story in the book of Acts, chapter 10, that was Cornelius. He was a Roman soldier, but it says he was a God-fearer. He believed in the Jewish God, and he helped the Jews, and he helped the synagogue. And so these three groups were there. And when Paul came, he preached the gospel. He he helped them to understand. And the people who received it most readily were the Gentiles, the God-fearers. And he, he said, listen, you guys can be a part of this without becoming Jewish. And they're like, wait a minute. We can receive Jesus Christ without circumcision? All the men said, Amen! And then they're like, let's, let's go after this one. And, and so Paul began to give them this idea. But after he left, these people came in 
and they try to tell them, no, Paul was wrong. If you want to believe in Jesus, you still have to become Jewish. And so this part of the letter in particular begins to deconstruct that. To help them understand there is nothing you need to do to receive Christ. And so let me go through three points very quickly about what happens when we receive this. What do we need to do? The first thing I think we need to do is we need to begin adopting grace. I hope this is something you already believe in. But the hard part is, we believe it, we say we believe it, but often we live like something else. Often we say we believe in grace, but then we live our lives as if our faith depends on what we do and what we bring to the table. Right in verse 1, he calls them foolish for believing this. He's like, you foolish Gentiles. No, he doesn't really think they're foolish. Matter of fact, when you read what he writes, he expects them to be pretty intelligent, to be able to follow complex, logical arguments. So he doesn't really believe they're foolish, but he believes that they're slipping into foolishness because they are taking on Jewish law. I mean, he even goes so far as say, who cast a spell on you? Why, why are you doing this? And he makes this weird comment, and I just want to touch on it. He says, For the meaning of Christ's death was made clear, as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. What that means is, well, I don't know. I don't know what he's trying to say here. Most commentaries argue about this. They don't know. There, apparently something was presented to them in such a clear manner that they believed in the resurrection by something that happened. Maybe it was the time when Paul himself got stoned and thrown out of the city, left for dead, and he came back into the city being fully healed. I don't, I don't know. We, there, there, again, there's all sorts of things. We don't know. I just wanted to throw that out to you in case you come up to me later and say, what was that about? I don't know. These are one of those parts of the Scriptures we, we don't know. But they received something that was, should have been so convincing they should not have returned back to their old way of life. I love the question in verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. This is the first time in the book of Galatians that Paul references the Holy Spirit. But as you will see, as we continue through the rest of the book, it becomes central. The work of the Holy Spirit becomes central. And that's exciting to me as a Pentecostal. I mean, that's exciting because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, did you receive it when you were trying to keep the law? Did, did, Did the Jews receive it when they tried to keep the law? No. The Holy Spirit was poured out when we believed in the work of Jesus Christ. And so, them having the Holy Spirit, them receiving that power in them, them seeing the miracles, all evidence the fact that they didn't need to work for their salvation. They needed to simply adopt grace. They needed to say, it's not what I do. It's not what I bring. In verse 3, he's like, how foolish can you be? By starting to live your new lives in the Spirit, why are you trying to become perfect 
by your own human effort. And how many times do we do this? How many times, I mean, I know for me, I received Christ. I, I accepted him when I was 15 years old. But there have been times in my life where I received it by grace, but then I start believing that, okay, I've, I've got to do something. Like, like, I've got to earn this. Like, yeah, it's a free gift, but obviously he expected me to do something in order to, to, to keep this. And while I believe we, we have to have lives that honor him, we don't lose it just because we don't. I mean, obviously we've got to be careful that we don't drift that we want to keep Christ central, keep Him focused, but that's not what saves us, and that's not what sets us free. It's not our own effort. It's by continually going back, asking God to give us more of His Spirit, asking God to empower us. The thing that I believe is so powerful about the book of Galatians is it trains us and it instructs us that if we want fruit, if we want a powerful life, if we want to see fullness of what Christ has for us, It's by simply submitting our lives to the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you receive new lives through the Spirit. Why are you trying to make your life better? By following old religious customs that didn't save anyone. Verse 5, he says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message. Listen, we we don't receive the good things of God because we're good people. We receive them because we trust the God who's giving it. We trust that He's good and that He wants to pour out on us. Now remember, they're trying to do this because they want to be children of Abraham. They want to be a part of the promises. They want to be. And so what I find interesting, when you read through this book, several times he's calling them brothers. Brothers and sisters. Don't you know this? Brothers and sisters. So he, he's putting them on level playing field with the Jewish believers. And then in these next couple of verses, he actually brings them into the children of, uh, of Abraham. Because in verse 7, he says, the real children of Abraham than are those who put their faith in God. See, they were taught the real children of Abraham were the ones who converted to Judaism, the ones who were circumcised, the ones who followed the customs. But if you, but if you don't read this in light of that, this, this almost means nothing. But when you see it, it's, it, it's so powerful. If you really want to be a child of Abraham, you put your faith in God. And then you raise your right hand, left hand, left. Oh, sorry. D- different audience, I guess. <laughs> Father Abraham had many. Okay, all right, I'll stop. But, but if you want to be a real child, you don't even have to do that. All you've got to do is accept Jesus as your Lord. All you've got to do is accept him, and you are ushered in. And then you get to begin adopting the promise. This promise was given to Abraham through faith, before the law, and now it's given to us. 
verse 15, he says, just as no one can set aside and amend an irrevocable argument, so it is in this case. He's saying, God gave Abraham this promise, and even though he gave the law later, it didn't change the promise. And so the promise endured even when the law was there as a guardian. I mean, he talks about this idea of a guardian for a period of time until the true son could be revealed and the promise would be open to everyone through faith. Again, he, he kind of digs it a little bit deeper. He says, the agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. He's saying, just because God gave Moses the law didn't change the fact that there was a promise given to those who received God through faith. He expected the Jewish people to follow these laws as a guardrail so that it would be clear when the Messiah came. But it wasn't really what was saving them. It was trusting and having faith in the God who gave it through Abraham. And so he asked this question, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we'd be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. We don't get this promise. We don't receive this truth by working it in our own effort. The promise can only come by simply obeying Christ. Simply trusting in His finished work on the cross. You're never going to be good enough on your own. You're never going to be able to follow the law well enough to secure your salvation. And if you're trying to do that, you're following into the same foolish trap that Galatians were. Saying, give it up. Don't try to do this in your strength. Trust what Christ has already done. And by adopting grace and adopting the promises, we also get to become adopting of royalty. We get to take on the royal inheritance that was offered. I already read this passage, but I believe Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29, has to be one of the most revolutionary things ever written. I believe if you don't get these few verses, you don't get Christianity. You don't understand why we're here this morning. I believe these verses here changed the early church. It changed the Gentile community. It changed the Jewish community when they heard these words and really took them to heart. That it opened up the way of faith beyond the Jewish culture. And so let me read these to you. As he is giving these people who are longing to become children of Abraham, who are longing to become part of the promises, who are longing to know that they have a security in the eyes of God. He gives them these verses 
to try to be a convincing argument through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think if we will really let these words resonate with us, it will change everything about who we are. Have we sold it well enough yet? You, 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 okay, let, let's go ahead and read these again. Verses 26 through 29. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise of Abraham belongs to you. What was God's promise to Abraham? I will bless you. I will make your name great. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. I fear I don't have the capacity to fully make this come alive to you. To me, there are no more powerful words. We've all been invited in. And that if we've accepted that, we don't have to do anything to prove it. Our lives will begin to naturally flow with good fruit because the Spirit is dwelling in us. But, and yes, it's going to cause us to want to be disciplined. Yes, it's going to want us to cause to cut things out of our lives. But not to prove that we've done anything, only because it is an outpouring of love. It's, it's evidence. And by doing this, by accepting this, we are actually putting on Christ. We are becoming Christ in this world to the people around us. That we, we, we get to showcase His goodness because they get to look at this person and say, your life was wrecked. What happened to you? You used to be messed up. What, 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 what's going on with you now? Wait, you used to enjoy doing these crazy things with us. Why, why are you backing away now? It begins to do something different in us. And then he says, you're no longer Jews and Gentiles. You're no longer free or slave. You're no longer male or female. Not that this is part of the culture that we're living in where we're trying to erase those distinctions. But he's saying... There's no advantage to either one. They grew up in a culture where Jewish free males would have been the highest ideal. But he's saying, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a slave, even if you're a woman, you're invited in. You get to be a part of the promise. You get, it doesn't matter where you came from, it doesn't matter what you bring in, you get to be a part of the promise if you will simply trust in who He is, if you will simply trust in what He has done. And I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. 
That helps me to understand. I I can't bring anything to this. I don't get to add anything to this. I just simply get to sit back and enjoy the benefits of being a son. And that's why he's saying the natural response should be in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4. Because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. For you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. The proper response to all that we have heard is that we allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in us richly to the point where we have to just almost impulsively cry out, Abba, Father. I mean, literally, this would have been the most affectionate term for a father. It would be like saying, Daddy. There's something about when the Holy Spirit is poured into us, we get to look up and say, Dad, I love you. I pray that you have not heard this message so often that those words have be just become routine for you. I pray that what we have seen in this, this, this talking of grace, this talking of promise, this talking of royalty, we, we have heard for 2,000 years and we've heard it so often. I believe we have grown callous to the language. But that's why I wanted you to consider what it would have been like to be in that audience perhaps being a Gentile, perhaps being a slave, feeling like you have no ability to draw close to God. He's saying, because Jesus died, you're invited. You get to come in. You're not just invited, you're welcomed. It's one thing to receive an invitation and you get there and everyone's snobby and You don't like hanging around the place because no one really seems excited you're there. You're not just invited, you're welcomed. You're invited to call him father. You're invited to call each other brothers and sisters. We all get to belong. It should invoke a deep emotional response in us that we get to be a part of the family, that we get to be people who call on Jesus and say, He is my God, He is my Savior, He is my Father. How powerful. How powerful. I really encourage you, take some time and go back over this. Really, if you have been listening and and reading through the book of Galatians throughout these last few weeks, I hope you're beginning to see the context, how all of this fits together. And as we get going into some of the more popular verses like the fruit of the Spirit and and some of these others that we're going to get to, those resonate deeper when you understand this. Matter of fact, I believe all of Christianity resonates deeper when you understand this. That we are all children. We are all new. We are all united. 
We are all brought in under the banner of Christ. And it changes everything. You don't have to work for your salvation. You don't have to work to prove to everyone else you're saved. You have to rest in His grace. And then follow the promptings of the Spirit. Because if you do that, it's just going to be natural. It's just going to be an outpouring. You're going to be so full of His Spirit, you can't help but be good and generous and loving and peaceful and self-controlled. We try so hard to do these in our own strength, and He's saying, stop it. Stop being foolish. And just receive. So let's take a moment and just receive. Matter of fact, let's stand. I want to pray for us. We're going to sing one more song of worship. Let's take a moment and just receive. Maybe you've never received that. At the end of this prayer time, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. Whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to this grace. But let's, let's take a moment and just receive. Maybe even once we get into the worship time, Maybe, maybe you don't follow along with the lyrics. You just take some time and be where you're at and just simply call out to Father. Simply say, God, I, I need to rest in who, you're, who you are. And let the worship team carry us. Into, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was so powerfully impacted by our worship this morning already. But let's take some time and just allow that to soak in us. Allow that to draw something deep within us that we would call out Abba Father, that we would call out on the God who so graciously saved us. I don't know about you, but I was a mess. I don't deserve to be up here. God, in his mercy, poured out. And I hope I never slip back into trying to earn this myself. I want to be someone who fully engages in the life that God has for me only because of his grace. Let me pray that for all of us. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the finished work of the cross. We thank you that there is nothing that we bring that makes us worthy. There's no effort that we exert It gives us the right to be called children of God. It is only by trusting you. It's only by resting in our position as children, as sons and daughters of the King. That's how we receive this grace. That's how we receive this promise. That's how we live lives of royalty. showing the world how powerful this gospel really is. God, I pray this morning that as these truths become more real to us, that we would begin to see more of your Spirit. That we'd begin to see more lives filled to overflowing. That we'd begin to see more of the miraculous, more of the signs and wonders 
Not because we deserved it. Not because we, we worked ourselves up into enough of a frenzy that you are obligated to pour it out. But because we're children just longing for more of you. And stepping out in faith, doing the things you've called us to do, obeying the promptings you've put in us. I'm just believing that as we do that, we are going to see the miraculous. We are going to see lives changed, destinies changed, people's eternities changed because of our willingness just to receive. So God, right now, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice, whether they're in this room, whether they're watching with us live, whether there's someone who's going to come across this content sometime down in the future, and they recognize they need this grace. They've never received it, or they've walked away from it, thinking it was too hard, it was too cruel, it was too exhausting. I pray that you would break off the shackles of religion, and you would let people just simply receive you through faith. If that's you, if you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer. You can use my words, you can use your own words, you can say this out loud, you can say it in the quietness of your heart. But I want to encourage you to pray something simple like this. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that God rose you from the dead. I'm sorry for my old life. Give me the strength to live for you every day. Holy Spirit, fill me. Let me experience this new life. Today, God, you have mine. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, come talk with me. Uh, or, or talk with one of our prayer team. We're going to let the prayer teams actually find a corner or two around this uh, building. If you need prayer for anything, if you're struggling with something, if you need some freedom in some area, come talk with one of these. Let them pray with you. We're going to worship, but if you need someone as kind of a hand up or, or you just want someone to pray with you, come find one of our prayer teams and, and prayer partners and, and let them Pour that over you and have faith with you. We're going to hit a couple of different corners, so if you want to come forward, if you want to go to the back, there's going to be someone there to meet with you. But let's, let's worship. Let's soak for a moment. Let's, let's let our hearts connect with the Father and allow that relationship to be what changes us, not our performances, not anything else. Love you guys. Hope you have a great week. And I believe God has great things in store for us. Amen? Amen. Let, let, let's worship.